0: chapter fourteen when lighthouses are dark by ethel c brill this librivox recording is in the public domain fourteen preparing for winter the boys had found a good-sized united states flag in the cabin and they decided to raise it as a signal so the next morning they went back to the end of the long point and selected a tall straight spruce that stood isolated and conspicuous ralph with a rope tackle wound around his waist climbed the tree hacked off the branches near the top attached his tackle and worked his way slowly down cutting the limbs as he descended until he had sufficient bare trunk to display the signal to advantage then larry carrying the flag climbed to where ralph was resting on the highest branch he had left uncut together they attached the flag upside down and ran it up as a signal of distress. That done, they nailed a board with a message painted on it to a stump nearby. A passing steamer, seeing the inverted flag, might send a small boat to investigate, and the boys did not doubt that, if their message were found, every attempt would be made to rescue them. There was not a captain who sailed the lake who would not realize what it meant to be stranded in such a place for the winter." "'not one cruel enough to turn his back on anyone in such a predicament. "'The only question was, would their flag be seen from close enough in "'to be recognizable as a distress signal? "'The appeal Ralph had painted on the board read, "'Stranded on an island near the fishing camp up the harbour, "'Margaret, Ralph, and Jack Elliott, and Lawrence Kingsley. "'Please come and take us off.' When the boys reached the cabin again, they found Jack looking distressed and somewhat sullen. "'The little hatchet's gone, Ralph,' he said. His tone sounded defiant. "'Gone? What's the meaning of that, Jack? Did you lose it?' "'I'm afraid he's been very careless, Ralph,' put in Margaret. "'I haven't either. It wasn't my fault.' "'How did it happen, Jack? Own up,' said Ralph sternly. "'Meg wanted some water, and I took the hatchet and the pail "'and went down to cut a hole in the ice. "'I had it cut, all right, when I heard a squirrel and a woodpecker "'making a great racket in the big cedar. "'I laid the hatchet down and went to see what they were up to. "'When I got back, the hatchet was gone. "'Is that all there is to the story? "'Didn't you drop that hatchet down the hole?' "'I never did. I laid it on the ice.' "'On the ice?' where close to the hole not very close it couldn't have slipped in somebody took it nonsense jack you know that couldn't happen you haven't told me the whole story yes i have except he hesitated except what out with it the hole jack went on was bigger when i got back Bigger. "'You mean the ice was thin and the hatchet had broken through?' "'No, the ice was thick. I could walk all around on it. "'The hole had been chopped bigger, and the hatchet was gone. Somebody took it.' "'How about the pail?' "'That was there all right.' "'Ralph picked up his cap. "'Show me the place,' he said. "'Jack led his brother down the path and pointed to an irregular hole in the ice close to shore.' I MADE IT ALMOST ROUND, HE SAID, BUT WHEN I CAME BACK IT WAS LIKE THAT, ALL CUT UP ON ONE SIDE. RALPH EXAMINED THE HOLE. THE ICE WAS FIRM, BUT ON THE SIDE JACK HAD INDICATED, IT HAD BEEN CUT OR BROKEN OFF IRREGULARLY, AS IF SOMEONE HAD GIVEN IT A HASTY HACK OR TWO. RALPH REMEMBERED THE BROKEN GLASS, THE OPEN WINDOW, THE SPILLED BEANS AND MISSING PRUNES. HE LOOKED ABOUT FOR TRACKS. But Larry had swept the ice at that place clean of snow the day before to test the thickness and to cut a water hole. Ralph could find no footprints that the boys might not have made themselves. He turned to the younger boy again. Jack, he said gravely, are you telling me the whole truth? Of course I am, Ralph, the latter replied indignantly. You know I never told you a lie. No, I know you don't lie. "'Jack was quick-tempered and sometimes self-willed, "'but his older brother had never known him to be untruthful. "'I think,' Ralph said finally, "'that when you cut that hole, "'you must have weakened the ice on this side, "'split or cracked it. "'Then you dropped the hatchet on it, "'and the weight broke it out, "'and the hatchet went to the bottom. "'You didn't mean to do it, of course, "'but you must be more careful. "'That hatchet is a real loss to us.' "'Don't lay things down on the ice after this.' "'I won't,' Jack promised. "'And I'm awfully sorry about the hatchet, but—' "'And he looked down at the hole with a doubtful expression. "'I don't see how it could break through that thick ice.' "'There was much work to be done in the next few days. "'With the prospect of spending the winter in that forsaken place, "'the castaways must make everything ready for a long siege of cold weather.' First, all the vegetables and canned goods that freezing might injure must be moved from the fishing camp to the cabin on the island. "'I'm afraid some of them may have frozen already,' said Margaret. "'We must move them today.' "'We could get them over here in a quarter of the time "'if we had some sort of a sled,' remarked Ralph. "'We'll have to fix up something.' The best they could do was to nail a couple of barrel staves to the bottom of a packing box, these wooden runners were but poor substitutes for iron-shod ones, and the clumsy sled pulled heavily and awkwardly, but it was better than nothing. By means of it they transported to the cabin all the potatoes, onions, and carrots, the canned goods, and some of the other provisions. The bulk of the things that cold would not injure they left at the fishing camp, taking enough, however, to supply them for about two weeks." the cans meg found room for in the kitchen but the sacks of vegetables she put in her bedroom they want to be where they won't freeze she said but if they're kept too warm they'll wilt and spoil at her suggestion the three made an inventory of all the food supplies some of the things were not just to their liking but they did not feel like complaining about that sharp air and much exercise gave them such hearty appetites that almost anything eatable was welcome. There were sacks of flour, white, graham, and rye, cornmeal, a quantity of dried beans and peas, sugar, salt, molasses, corn syrup, pork, bacon, and several hams, prunes and other dried fruit, and various kinds of canned goods, including an abundance of canned milk. The boys hailed with joy some glasses and jars of homemade raspberry jam, highbush cranberry jelly, and canned blueberries. To make the little four-room cabin as warm as possible, they chinked every hole and thin place between the logs with moss and clay thawed over the kitchen fire. The stove and fireplace heated the kitchen and living room. The bedrooms must go unwarmed. There was a good supply of bedclothes in the cabin, and more at the fishing camp, but the boys who slept on spring cots without mattresses it found that the cold came through from underneath. Ralph conceived the idea of covering the springs with a layer of wrapping paper strewed thickly with twigs of balsam and arborvita, the flat sprays of which were conveniently shaped. With more papers above the evergreens, then a heavy comfort in blankets, the lads found their cot-beds warm and comfortable. A blanket doubled over the foot and fastened with safety pins to upper and lower covers, made the bedding almost as snug as a sleeping bag. The most serious lack was clothes. As autumn anywhere on Lake Superior is a sharp and chilly season, the young people were wearing, when carried away in the fog, woolen underwear. The boys had on flannel shirts and warm suits. Jack, a sweater in addition, and Margaret, a wool skirt, a flannel waist, much like the boys' shirts and her winter coat. But, of course, they had no changes— "'I wonder if there is anything at that fishing camp we can wear,' said Ralph. "'Our underthings won't ever last through, and I, for one, don't care much for this having to stay in bed while your clothes are washed.' Search of the bedrooms in the larger house brought to light four warm and only slightly worn flannel shirts, two oil-skin slickers, two pairs of old trousers, and two old coats that smelled strongly of fish several pairs of woolen socks and two suits of heavy underwear the fishy old coats and trousers the boys rejected and the socks they found much too big the shirts though a little large they could wear i'll cut one of these down for jack said meg we've taken possession of so many of the thorsons things we might as well go on we'll pay them double for everything if necessary lawrence replied "'These things are worth much more than that to us.' "'You'd better use one of these shirts yourself, Meg,' Ralph suggested. "'I guess I'll have to. I can fit it down a little. There's only one warm dress here, and I don't think I could wear it. It's so much too big. "'How about underwear for you and Jack?' "'There's one suit I can use. Maybe I can make something for Jack out of a blanket. The socks and stockings are the worst. They're all so much too big.' A few minutes later the boys heard her exclaiming with delight. She had found a large box of wool yarn. An old lady who had lived next door to the Elliots two years before had taught Margaret to knit, and she had made several pairs of socks for her uncle, besides mittens and a knitted cap for Jack. The needles were in the box, so Meg, finding she had not forgotten how, set to work at once to knit the mittens that the boys said they wanted first. At the Fisherman's, the lads found also a pair of long Norwegian skis and two pairs of snowshoes, one smaller than the other. There were a huge pair of fur gloves and two pairs of heavy moccasins, much too big for the boys, but which they thought they might use for snowshoeing. "'Maybe we can stuff them out with something,' suggested Ralph. "'For fear that storms or deep snow might interfere with woodcutting,' "'Lawrence and Ralph decided to lay in a good supply. "'They had determined not to cut any trees on the little island "'unless absolute necessity compelled them, "'but from the forest on the long point a few would not be missed. "'We don't need to take any live, healthy trees,' said Lawrence. "'We can find plenty of dead, partly dead, or broken and stunted ones.' "'Before their arrival on the island, neither lad had ever cut down a tree,' but necessity is a good teacher, and they soon learned to handle their axes and to gauge the falling of the trunks. Felling trees, cutting them up, and pulling the heavy loads of wood across the ice and snow in the clumsy sled was hard work, however, and stiff and aching muscles as well as hearty appetites were the result. End of chapter 14